Welcome to What Does This Mean? A discussion of the readings that we'll be reading in Lutheran churches this coming Sunday, November 10th. It's the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. Our readings today start with a hymn, a description of faith, and end with a little twist, a trick trying to trap Jesus. And we'll find what's in between. We're back. Hi, I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. And I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. We're the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul. And we like to take a look at the readings and talk about them for a bit with you. It's good for us to have a chance to reflect on what these readings might be telling God's people earlier in the week. But we also hope that it's a gift to you to be able to start hearing and exploring what the readings might be saying to you. For this second season of our podcast, we've been inviting guests to be with us and to help us discuss the readings. Today's special guest is our own Timothy Strand from Gloria Day. Welcome. We are so glad to have you, Tim. We're looking forward to hearing what your thoughts are. Tell us first a little bit about yourself. I'm the church music director, of course, and it's been my lifelong career. I grew up in Nebraska, the son of a Lutheran pastor. My parents met in Bible school in Los Angeles, California. So the house was always biblical. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I will admit, I sometimes really tired of everything being parsed all the time. So I was a little bit the rebel. You know, it's like, oh, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh I've heard that. (laughs) We think of you as the rebel. Uh, Mostly that's our understanding of you. Tell us a little bit about what a music director does at church. My main responsibility is leading the congregation in song, and that very often is done from the organ or the piano and leading choirs and working with instrumentalists and soloists. One of the greatest joys is when you're not practicing by yourself, but you're at the organ and leading a full congregation and their response is joyful and full. And that is, you know, for me, the best. We are glad that you're with us and we're glad those of you listening in are with us too. So let's get started. Pastor Bradley, would you like to read our first reading? The first reading is from the 19th chapter of Job, verses 23 through 27a, which means just the first part of 27. 27b was clearly rejected by the <laughs> Don't the need it. It's not going <laughs> to fit do for it. today. Right, right, right. So if you're a little bit of a rebel, you can open your own Bibles and read 27 Tim would. I would. would. What are we skipping? Uh, So here's the reading from Job. Oh, that my words were written down. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and with lead, they were engraved on a rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last he will stand upon the earth And after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, 
and my eyes shall behold and not another. Well, you gave me the musical one, for I know that my Redeemer lives. The Messiah, of course, was such a central part of my growing up in my household and in the community I grew up in. So I love the musical imagery. I do also like engraved on a rock forever. I think so much of our world today is so temporary and not that firm foundation and that that I I love like being at Gettysburg I loved the fact that so many of these monuments are that it's etched in stone so that people remember I think that's one of the things that Job is trying to go for because in this little section here he has you know he's lost everything and his friends have come and given him all of these religious platitudes, you know, all the stuff that religious people say to those who are suffering, which when you're suffering, feel really shallow. And everything happens for a reason. Yeah, exactly. God will give you more than you can uh, handle. Right. We could be Job's friends. Right. <laughs> and, I think, and I think Job's saying, I want my suffering to be heard. I don't want it to be just wiped away by these simple, trite things. I want it engraved and written down because it's important to say, and he's trying to make his case before God on why he should be listened to. And this his sense of his faith so strong to say, I know this has been awful for me. I am in despair about all these things that have happened to me. But I believe God lives and God will live somehow in spite of how awful this has been. That incredible song mm-hmm. at the end that he sings. I, I just have to uh, mention something I'm watching. I'm watching a Danish series right now that's called Herren's Vea. And it means the Lord's Way. And it's about a dynasty of Lutheran clergy um, and a troubled that father. old line again. We've all seen that. <laughs> I know. Uh, a troubled father and therefore somewhat troubled sons, you know, one who's following in his father's footsteps. But one thing that I love about it is the honesty that they portray the struggle of the younger son who has decided to be a pastor and who has a kind of a fire in his belly to do good, but that doesn't mean conforming or being bogged down by simple little uh, platitudes, platitudes that, that so often mark the message that people hear of the church. I just thought I was so proud of this series for being so much more of an honest, struggling portrayal of liberal Christianity rather than, you know, the, the kind of American uh, films portray religion and churches very often in films very simplistically, I think. That's what I love about Job is that it is such an honest... I mean, Job is really bringing his complaint to God and doesn't have time for his friends offering these trite platitudes, like Pastor Bradley said. Um, And despite his friends showing up that way, he's able to cling to his faith and not, not based on some sort of like well, everything happens for a reason. But really, um, he's able to re- to bring his complaints to God and somehow still in the midst of that find um, 
trust in God and trust that at the end he shall see God on his side. He he holds on to this old tradition of the Redeemer. And we tend to hear this and we hear the music from the Messiah or the hymn, I know that my Redeemer lives. And for us, we've attached this passage to Jesus. But in Job's time, there was a tradition, it was called the Goel, this person who was supposed to be your redeemer. And it was usually someone in your extended family um, that would have the responsibility for someone who was struggling or sick or needed some kind of help that you could count on the fact that someone would quote unquote, redeem you, which is really stand with you, help you, not leave you alone. And Job holds on to that. He trusts that someone's going to step forward and help him. And in that, he sees God. That seems like a great place for us to wrap up that reading. Let's take a break and we'll come right back. Welcome back. Our second reading is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and then verses 13 through 17. As to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we beg you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the lawless one is revealed, the one destined for destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. For this purpose, he called you through our proclamation of the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. Because of the run-on sentences, it's like uh, which pronoun goes with who, etc. So like even here, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. Is that? Christ, or is it the lawless one destined for destruction? 
I think it's the lawless one. I think he's trying to say that this that the day of the Lord can't come until this lawless one comes and exalts himself above everything else and takes his place in the temple of God and mm-hmm. says he's God. I think I knew that, but it was like, oh, it's like I know. I mean, anyway, it just, it's just that, it's really that's a little it's really hard to hear Paul, who wrote this passage, read aloud. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to be a purist about in the Sunday bulletin, not printing the copy of the text because, you know, this was an oral tradition. The early church just heard it. They wouldn't have read it. Um, But I've been uh, changed on that precisely for this reason, because I think Paul is really hard to understand, especially in our world where we're we're used to rather simple communication, and it's complex, it's deep, it's uh, grammatically challenging. So to ha- have it in front of us really helps. Mm-hmm. I also think that that this is so typical. I know what it, what's the series, the raptured series or whatever. Left behind. Left yeah. behind. Yeah. Left behind. Um, this fundamentalist need to just put all this energy there and ignore your neighbor. It seems like I just, you know, it's like, uh, I think Christ would have a lot to say about that. And I think that's actually what this passage was about, was it was about people being fixated on the timing of Jesus's return. And because remember, Paul is writing a few decades after Jesus lived. And so, they haven't had 2,000 years of watching and waiting and saying, we believe Jesus is coming again. They've been saying this for just a little while, <laughs> and they sort of think it's really – it's coming soon. Very soon. And, um, and I think for some of them it meant, well, if Jesus is coming soon, we don't really have to worry about too much. Like we don't have to work on you know, caring for other people and doing these things because Jesus is going to come and take care of it all shortly. And I think Paul is saying no – you need to remember what Jesus taught us and calling them back to their central, to the central teachings of the gospel. I think um, in our own day, there are people who are still kind of fixated on the timing of Jesus's return and some people who still think we can just wait for Jesus to come and save the earth and Global warming doesn't really matter because Jesus is going to be coming soon. And And we're not going to be able to feed everybody anyway, so just wait until God's kingdom comes. We talked about that last week when we were talking with Katie. Right. And I think Paul's message here, calling the people back to the central teachings, is still relevant to us today. Well, Paul says, you're going to be the first fruits. So you're going to be the signs of what is to come. It's not something off in the future, but you're actually going to be the community that's practicing what that looks like. And I hear that as the community that is taking care of the earth, that is meeting the neighbor, serving the neighbor, feeding the hungry, giving uh, voice to a different kind of political or theological reality. And maybe that's actually how Jesus does return, is through all of us embodying Jesus in our words and actions. We often read 
passages like this in November, which in some ways feel a little bit like an advent, kind of a longing for God's coming, longing for the arrival of God's kingdom. And to some degree, did you tell us before, Pastor Bradley, that this is sometimes little advent or pre-advent, but the sense of long, like leaning in to the, the dreams and the hopes of God's coming. And it, at Christmas time, we get so wrapped up in Jesus coming in Bethlehem that we forget that a lot of the scripture is really talking about this arrival of God's reign in our lives now and in the days to come and how we can how we can lean into them. What does it mean to lean into them? Does it mean we just sit back and don't do anything because God's going to take care of it? Or as Paul says, you know, stand firm in the convictions that you've received and um, do the work that uh, Jesus was starting for us and showing us what to do. Right. And we're kind of preparing the way for Jesus's return. The first fruits thing, Bradley, I think... Um... That's that's what we're about is we're about trying to give people the preview <laughs> of what is to come. And I prefer to see the 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 first fruits or the fruits other than because I think very often the end times can be, oh, we're the special ones in the club rather than leaning into the hard work. Let's take a break here and come back with our gospel reading. Our gospel reading for Sunday will be Luke 20, verses 27 to 38. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless, then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. Well, I love this one because (laughs) I'm the unmarried one. (laughs) Okay, all right. So, you know, I'm like an angel and have a special place. We've always said that. (laughs) We've always said that. Um, No, I do like the, um, the, the first part of it, uh, you know, the kind of rules sort of thing. It does the 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 little 
um, part of that that I have in my own family was that my great-grandfather was killed in a copper mine in Upper Michigan at the age of 39 when my grandfather was only four and he had an older brother. So the younger brother ah. came. Not It wasn't immediate, but it, after a few years, married my great-grandmother, and then there was a second crop of kids. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that it, that was... I think it was kind of taken kind of seriously in that older, not totally literally, but I think it happened with more frequency because of the biblical edict. A sense of responsibility mm-hmm. or at least connection mm-hmm. to not not wanting to see the children mm-hmm. raised without yeah. without parents. Yeah. Yeah. That would, In that first segment, we talked about the Redeemer. That was one of the primary things that the Redeemer did was mm-hmm. marry the widow so that the family could be taken care of. So it, re- it was a biblical, I mean, it was a law that when someone, when a man died and left a widow, that the, a brother was supposed to marry. Um, and so what's happening here is there's, this has happened seven times. It's such an asinine sort of um, <laughs> example, but it's happened seven times. And so they're trying to trap Jesus with this question. Well, and they, the Sadducees are the ones that didn't believe in resurrection. Exactly. So we, this I always think is fascinating for us because we presume that everybody that's ever been in the Bible or anything else always has the same view of heaven and hell and what happens after we die and so on. And here we learn, no, many people, many religious leaders didn't have a sense of afterlife. They thought this life on earth was what it was. And then when we die, that's it. So they're trying to trap Jesus by saying, so if there really is a resurrection, Jesus, He keeps talking about resurrection and the new life to come and this coming reign of God. It's like, oh, okay. So So who's this lady married to in heaven? Which one of these seven brothers? And, And I think Jesus disarms the question or whatever by saying, actually in the world to come, it's a whole different kind of reality than the world that we've lived in here on earth. At least that's how I'm hearing this. It's troubling, I think, to hear Jesus sort of saying like, yeah, marriage was important here on earth, but like actually in heaven, marriage doesn't really matter very much. Which um, is always confusing to those of us who, who you know, as spouses are dying, we say, we'll see you again in right. heaven and that kind of image. But Jesus is is bringing in a vision that's really beyond anything we can imagine. And part I think that's what he's trying to say is that it's not like this. You know, there's there's going to be a new reign and a new understanding of relationships and a new understanding of how we all belong to one another. And that promise will turn over all the other assumptions or old rules that we have. He he ends it with this little image of Moses talking to the bush and hearing, um, I am the God of your ancestors the God of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that sense of if I'm the God of your ancestors, then they're living. And that promise, which, you know, we've used the phrase, the God of our ancestors without thinking that means they're living in Jesus uh, use of that phrase is to say they are alive and among us. And when we talk about the afterlife, we're talking about the here and now of, of both what has happened in the past and is happening right now. I feel like Jesus here is saying, can we talk about something that actually matters to living people? And I think what's partly what's getting challenged here is how religion can just dwell in these esoteric questions. And we think we're being so religious and faithful and we just talk till we're blue in the face. And it just doesn't matter 
to anybody or it doesn't make any difference. And I feel like Jesus is saying, get off your religious theological questions and pay attention not to the the land of the dead, but to the land of the living. Which brings us back to the the reading also from First Th- or Second Thessalonians about um, don't get hung up on all the you know when is it coming? Is this the end? Has the end come? What happens after we die? Talk you know right now about the land of the living. Live within your community. How are you serving your neighbors in need? How are you being a voice of compassion? That that phrase that we hear in Luke's gospel, indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God being children of the resurrection. Jesus says, we're children of the resurrection right now. We are like the angels. Even Tim, who already is like an angel, the rest of us can be like that, to, to be the voices of compassion and kindness and goodness to our to our world around us in the living. Yeah, I really like that um, sort of thing. I think even when we bring it to liturgical uh, practice in the church, there's sometimes when um, I certainly have uh, many friends who are purists, and I feel like sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, they waste all this energy nitpicking about what's right and criticizing other people who don't do it the same way and miss the neighbor struggling next door. That seems to be one of the threads running through these texts today is focusing on the things that actually matter and not getting distracted by the things that would pull us away from what's most important. Wonderful. Well, we are so glad that you've been with us, listening with us to what does this mean. We hope that you'll drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. Wonderful thanks to our friend Timothy Strand for being with us today. Thank you also to Paul Friesen Carper for the music that he provides for our um, interludes on these podcasts, and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing the podcasts for us. We hope that you will join us for worship every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 a.m. Sunday school is at 9.30 for all ages. Thank you so much for being with us. Know that wherever you are, God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting. And they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.